A good evening to each one of you, and uh, has it been warm enough for you outside, I guess is the big question tonight. It's getting there. I, uh, when we were, when we, my sister and I were kids, my parents, our parents used to take us to Arizona for vacation, and this is reminding me a lot of uh, Lake Havasu. Uh, it's pretty warm out there. But I'm so thankful that the Lord has provided us this time to come together and, uh, and to study God's Word. And I, I hope that as we're looking at these various topics through the sanctuary, that it's making sense how the truths of the Bible are interconnected and, and sequential in, in, in development when you, when you run it through the sanctuary. And I hope that's becoming more and more apparent to you. And I also hope that as you're studying your Bibles, uh, that you're seeing sanctuary terminology and imagery throughout the Scripture, especially you get into the prophetic sections of, uh, of Revelation and Daniel. But uh, let's begin tonight uh, t- uh, this study uh, with a word of prayer. And uh, if you will, let's kneel as far as possible. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the opportunity to come together to study your word. And uh, Lord, this is life to us. And truth is more than a concept, it is a person. You remind us that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the truth. And so Lord, we're continuing to enter into a deeper understanding of who you are. And as we yield to that, we enter into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, once again, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. We thank you for his righteousness that covers us because you will accept no other righteousness but that of your dear son, Jesus. And tonight, we ask for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, keep the evil one away. Shut us in that secret place of the Most High that truly tonight we may abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Father, you know tonight we're going to be touching once again on some very sensitive subjects. But help us to see these subjects not through our strength, but through the strength of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, uh, to remember that that you are bigger than anything we can ever face. And we thank you for that so much. And Lord, give me your grace as I present here tonight. For I ask all of these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. In our last presentation, we took a look at the third phase of the judgment the third and final phase of the judgment, which had to do with the destruction of the wicked. And in this presentation, we learned three things. Uh, We asked three questions. One was, when will the destruction of the wicked take place? Where will it take place? And how long will it last? And we know what the current concepts are in regards to this, but we look to see what the Word of God had to say. And as far as the when is concerned, we looked at various texts that point to the fact that the destruction of the wicked takes place at the end of the world, not at the moment of death for the individual. Where does it take place? We learned that it does not take place in the deep, dark bowels of the earth, but rather on the earth as the, uh, the enemies of God surround the New Jerusalem, seek to destroy it. They're arrested in their activities. And uh, the, 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 the third phase of the judgment is carried out. And, and then um, the wicked are then destroyed. And then we learned how we, we studied how long does the destruction last. And contrary to the popular belief and teaching today, it is not eternal. It is not eternal. And in fact, the destruction of the wicked is is described in the Bible as as them vanishing. 
as dam burning up, uh, turn to ashes and perishing. We serve a God that is loving and merciful as well as just. Can you say amen to that? We serve a gracious God. Tonight, um, we are going to take a step back because we have studied some amazing things here in regards uh, to God's plan of salvation, in particularly the Day of Atonement because we have learned in our studies that since October 22, 1844, the judgment in heaven has been underway. And this is amazing. The third and final phase of God's plan to, to save humanity and to bring an end to sin has been underway for some time. And uh, we know there's more time behind, uh, behind uh, what Christ worked than there is ahead of him. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, he's not going to be doing this for very long. So, so realizing this, realizing that we are living in the final moments of earth's history, that the plan of salvation is nearing its end, that Christ has almost completed his work in the heavenly sanctuary, shouldn't this knowledge impact our lives? You know, Paul has something to say to us regarding this. If you'll open your Bibles to 2 Peter, excuse me, not I said Paul, it's Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. We looked at this uh, chapter earlier. We're going to look, uh, spend some time looking a little further down. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're there, say amen. If you need more time, mercy. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 11. Listen carefully what Peter has to say to us. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So Peter's saying, recognizing the hour in which we live, what kind of people should we be? We should be seeking to be like God. Tonight's presentation, we are going to take a very practical look at what God has to say the type of people we ought to be in preparation for his coming. So if you have your lessons with you, uh, let's begin with question number one. This one lays the foundation of our study this evening. What principle will a child of God live by who is waiting for Christ's soon coming? Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore what? Sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy, for I am what? Holy. God is holy. God is love. And he wants us to be like him. That's his appeal to us. Um, when the Bible says, you shall, sanctify, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, what, what sanctifying means is set aside for holy use. Does that make sense? That is the appeal that God makes. That is actually the goal of the plan of salvation, the transformation from sinner to saint, from rebel to friend. Does that make sense? Very, very important. Um, Ephesians 5.10, what's that first word? Proving what is acceptable unto who? You know, the carnal heart wants to do what it wants to do. Isn't that right? You know, like Elvis's last song, I Did It My Way, right before he died of a drug overdose. But, but what this text is saying, it's not about us doing it our way, it's about doing it whose way? God's way. Proving, proving in, involves an investigation, a testing, studying to show what God's will is so that I can line up with his will. Does that make sense? So important. You're going to find, friends, that the majority of what's going on in the world, everything that's going on in the world, is really in opposition to the way heaven operates. And sadly, much of the Christian world is, is actually not seeking God's will. They're not. And how do you know? Study the Word of God, and that will become quickly apparent. Proving, and I'm not saying everyone. 
obviously. But, you know, I can, I, can, I can stand in the middle of my garage and call myself a car, but that doesn't make me one. Isn't that true? And I can go to church and call myself a Christian, but that doesn't make me one. The devil can do that. No, a Christian is someone who studies God's Word to come in contact with the mind of God so that their lives can be brought into harmony with God's life. Isn't that true? Very important. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is the framework for our study this evening. Therefore, whether you, what? Eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So this is a holistic approach. In other words, every aspect of our life, from what we eat, what we drink, whatever we do, making sure that we are always in the center of God's will. Does that make sense? And by the way, God is the source of happiness. King David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. So the fountainhead, the source of joy, of happiness, of love, is God. And so whatever he asks of us is loving and will result in our own happiness. Does this make sense? Although for the carnal heart, it doesn't always look that way at first. Um, So let's take a look at the note under question one. The Word of God makes it clear that those who have accepted Jesus and are preparing for His soon coming will be purifying their lives now through a relationship with Him. We have learned that the time just before the second coming of Jesus is to be used just as the Day of Atonement was used in the Old Testament as a time for holy living, a time for God's people to get ready to meet Jesus when He comes. The serious times in which we live demand that Christians live what kind of lives? Holy lives. I entitled our talk tonight, Living in the Day of Atonement. And you'll recall that uh, in the antitypical Day of Atonement, uh, when the Day of Atonement was taking place in Israel, what were the people of Israel doing? They were afflicting their hearts. They were making sure that everything was right between their soul and their Savior. And that is a model for us today, is making sure of that. And the Bible will reveal to us what his mind is so we can be in the center of it. So our first section uh, we will look at is, therefore, whether you eat... Did I have that on there as a... No, I don't. Whether you eat or drink... uh, Excuse me, whether... Therefore, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. And so we're going to be looking first at, uh, at that component of our lives of eating and drinking. Let's take a look at question number two. What was the original diet that God designed for humans? Uh, let me pause right here for a second. You know, <clears throat> I, uh, in fact, it was here, it's here in this district that I developed uh, a hobby of working on cars. Actually, it started out as a necessity. And it turned into an interest um, because when we needed a vehicle, we can afford the ones that were already smushed at the insurance auction. And so we would just buy it, bring it home, and I begin the process of working on it. And one of the things I had to do is find out what the manufacturer had to say about that vehicle. And you know that the manufacturer has, has a lot to say about how to make their car right. Now, inside a vehicle, uh, a vehicle requires lots of fluids. And let me know if I miss one. Uh, it, it needs gasoline, right? It ne- it's sometimes diesel. Uh, it needs radiator fluid. It needs brake fluid, wiper fluid, automatic transmission fluid, power steering fluid. It needs oil. Did I miss one? I don't think so. Um, and so, and, and, and the manufacturer will tell you where these things are supposed to go. You don't want to put automatic transmission fluid in the gas tank. You don't want to put gasoline in the radiator. So it's, it's imperative that we go to the manufacturer to make sure our vehicle will run correctly and last long for us. In fact, now cars are so sensitive, you can't just put any oil. Some need full synthetic. And if you have a European vehicle like mine, I have a little VW, it's not just any synthetic. It has to be a European formula or your cams will wear wear out prematurely. Um, And so you have to know. So what we're going to look at in Genesis Uh, 129, is we're going to see what the manufacturer of humanity has to say about what goes in the human body. Does this make sense? Now, I have something to share with you that might blow you away. This is smarter than anything any physician can ever tell you. 
This is the manufacturer. Let's take a look at what he says. Genesis 1, verse 29, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for what? For food. So initially in the Garden of Eden, the diet for humanity was fruits, uh, nuts, and grains. And if you study carefully, after the fall, vegetables came in to the picture. But this is the diet that God gave to humanity. This is how we keep optimum health. This is how we run well and long. And uh, if you do any studies on animals, you will discover that the only, only animals whose jaw moves from side to side are herbivores. Humans can do that. Dogs only do this. They only go up. Carnivores go up and down. Herbivores do this. And if you look at the colon uh, on a carnivore, it's very short because the meat will putrefy. It's got to go through quickly. But uh, in in people and in uh, you know in vegetarians or herbivores, you will see a long intestinal tract. Okay. So this tells us if you didn't know anything else about people, just by looking at these things, you already know. They're not designed for eating meat. Are you with me? So this is what the manufacturer intended. And we're going to find out later, you know, through the Noatic flood, of course, uh, things change. And we'll touch on that as we go along. But, um, but this is what God intended for us in the beginning. Does that look beautiful? Isn't that someplace you want to go? That sounds, I'm sure it's a lot cooler right there than it is where we are right now. But uh, let's take a look at uh, our next question. Number three, is God concerned with our physical health? Uh, 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you, may be, that you may prosper in how many things? All things and be in, in health, just as your soul prospers. It's amazing that God is equating the importance of our soul with the importance of our health. There actually is a connection, by the way. And you know, if you're not feeling well, are you happy when you're not feeling well? Uh, after leaving here and um, going to Hendersonville, I had a number of health challenges and had surgery. Actually, I went under twice. And, um, and I can tell you that when you're under the influence of, of, of pain meds and stuff um, and, 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 or pain, <laughs> you really don't feel like studying your Bible very much, you know? And you're really not very happy. Well, God wants us happy. He wants our bodies to be in good shape so that we can enjoy full health and as well as being able to hear his voice. So God cares about how we feel. But what we're going to find is how we feel physically affects how the mind works. And my friends, the battle between Christ and Satan is being waged between our ears. It's here. The battle is being waged. So we need to have our equipment sharp so we can make sure to make good decisions. Question four. God promised the children of Israel that if they would serve and obey him, he would remove all sicknesses from them. Did he keep his promise? In Psalms 105, verse 37, he also brought them out, and there was how many? None feeble among their tribes. Entire nation. You're looking at approximately 2 million people, and uh, you can study the, the, this period in Israel, and you will find no blindness you will find no leprosy. You will find no deafness. Study it. It's not until much later at the time of Christ when the people of God deviated from the health plan he had, he had assigned to them that those things start cropping up. You with me? It's amazing. In fact, there's a lot of sicknesses today, diabetes being one, diabetes type two, that can be reversed by lifestyle. This is, of course, a fact. Question number um, four. Is it four? Five. Why is our health so important to God? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Okay, so here's the temple, right? Where was the place, where was God located? Where was the visible presence of God in the temple? Students? In the most holy place, isn't that right? 
that was the control center of Israel. That's where the king dwelt. If our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, where is it that God communicates with us? Where is the most holy place? Okay, I see people touching their heads. Very good. But where specifically? Okay, that's it. Very good. Right here in the frontal lobe. This is the control center. Isn't that right? This is where God communicates with us. You know, sometimes we're in the grocery store and perhaps our eyes fall on some magazine there and something in, in our hearts, in our heads tell us, hey, you don't need to look at that. Am I right? Have you ever had that experience? That's the king communicating. Right here. So God, and if you look at the temple, God was very specific about what can be brought into the temple. You couldn't bring, there are certain animals you could not bring in there or you'd defile it. Isn't that right? And so God doesn't want our temples defiled either. Um, It's very interesting when you look at Scripture, we're going to look at some things here uh, in a moment that has to do, as I mentioned, with what we eat and drink. And if you look in the Scripture, the battle... Uh, that the, the temptation and the fall of Adam and Eve was over food. And when you look at Jesus, when he began his ministry, um, he, his, his temptation, when the, when the devil came to tempt him, what was the first temptation over? It was food. Food is very critical, my friends. We're going to find that if you struggle with character issues, what do you mean, pastor? You have a hot temper, okay? Uh, lust issues, um, if, if you're having sin issues, your diet may very well be playing a major role in your struggle. Change your diet first. Clean it up. Are you with me? So that you have, uh, so the playing field will be level for you in your struggle. Um, And so what we're going to find is that as our minds are clear, we'll be able to discern right and wrong better. And hear me, we will be able to resist temptation better. Are you listening to me, friends? Very, very important. Let's take a look at question number six. Oh, isn't that a happy, healthy young lady? Okay, that's a sweet picture. Number six, should Christians use alcoholic beverages? All right, so here we go. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a what? A mocker. Intoxicating drink arouses brawling. And whoever is led astray by it is what? Is not wise. You will not find anything positive said about alcoholic beverages in Scripture. Um, You know, many of you remember in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, the story of Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu were priests of God. They were sons of Aaron. And, and I don't know if you're aware of this, and I don't know if I mentioned it, but there was no preaching done at the sanctuary. People came and watched the play out of the sacrifices and the work of the priest, and that was the sermon. And God gave specific instructions to Israel uh, to the priests on what their activity, what their work was supposed to be because their lives were a sermon. And if they did it wrong, then they would jeopardize the nation. Theirs was a very serious responsibility. And uh, so God, on this particular day, gave specific instruction that any fire that was to be used in the menorah uh, or in the golden altar or on the Ark of the Covenant, had to come from the fire that God lit on the brazen altar the day that he inaugurated the activities in the sanctuary. In other words, they weren't to bring a common fire. Somebody wasn't supposed to whip out their big lighter and light something and bring it into the sanctuary. God had forbidden that. It's only his fire. By the way, fire is a symbol of what? Of the Holy Spirit. That was one of the lessons God was trying to communicate through that. You know, there are two spirits in this world. One will save you, the other one will destroy you. Is that right? So God was being very specific. You are to approach me with my spirit. Make sense? But Nadab and Ubihu, they got into some alcohol and uh, it, it messed with their reasoning and they said, you know, what? what's the difference? Fire is fire. Somebody whipped out a match, lit their incense, 
began walking to the tabernacle, and you know what happened next. God had to use an emergency measure because what those two men were doing was placing the nation in jeopardy. Fire came out from God and devoured them both. And God gave specific instructions that the, the priests of God were not to drink alcohol because they had to be able to distinguish the holy from the common. My friends, I have news for you. The Apostle Peter informs us that we are all a nation of priests. Every one of us. We need to keep the temple of God clear of alcohol so our minds can be clear because our lives may be the only sermon that a lot of people in the community will ever hear. Does that make sense? All right. Let's take a look. And by the way, when the Bible uses the word wine, it assumes the reader knows which kind of wine they're talking about. Every once in a while, the Bible will clarify that there's alcoholic wine and then there's also fresh wine that is uh, not fermented. Does that make sense? All right, there is a difference. Take a look at question number seven. What will God do to those who defile their bodies? 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. You are the temple of God. If anyone, what? Defiles the temple of God, God will destroy. Remember that we talked about the second coming, that when God returns, his presence is a consuming fire to sin. Isn't that true? So if I choose to hang on to sin, if I choose to hang on to things that defile me, what is God's presence going to do to me? It's going to destroy me. So God clarifies things that he doesn't want in our temples so that it won't jeopardize us. And one of them is tobacco. Were you aware that in America alone, 400,000 people can, can link the cause of their death back to tobacco annually? It's interesting that we don't have quarantining against tobacco. That's a lot of people, 400,000. Um, <clears throat> And we can talk about some other things here. That's, that's more than, well. Um, another one, a very popular one in our culture today. Well, let's talk about a popular brand called Coca-Cola. Let's go way back when Coca-Cola was new. Coca-Cola was, pos- was popular and people were hooked on Coca-Cola. Why? What was one of the main ingredients that? It was cocaine. Well, the U.S. government said, hey, you can't be doing that to people. Like they needed somebody to tell them that. So what did they do? They switched to a different drug. And it's called caffeine. It's in the same family. Were you aware that a cup of coffee will reduce the blood flow to your frontal lobe by 40%? If the battle is for your brain, that is one one item that needs to be jettisoned very quickly. Are you with me? This, This is a drug even though it's popular, it's still a drug. And, uh, and it's not helpful to us, and it's one we need to get rid of. Now, I used to drink coffee, and, uh, and I, I saw people that... What happens to people that quit drinking coffee? How are they the next day? You want to hang out with them and have a nice time with them? How are they? They're grumpy. And what else? Headaches. They have massive headaches. Why? Because they're going through withdrawals. Okay, well, I didn't want to go through that. So what I did is I began by getting regular coffee that had caffeine in it and then half and half with decaffeinated. And as the week progressed, I just kept reducing the amount of caffeinated and increasing the amount of decaffeinated until finally there was no more caffeinated and I was left with decaffeinated and then I finally just got off that. Does that make sense? So if you're like me... (laughs) (laughs) and you want to reduce your suffering to a degree, (laughs) that is one way to do it. But friends, I I want to be very honest here. If we really believe that Christ is coming back and he's coming soon, we've got to stop playing games. Is is that true? We we just really need to take this serious. The Lord is not the big killjoy in the sky. There's lots of substitutes out there. And you know, one thing that's really interesting and I discovered, if you knew anything about my past, I did it all wrong. I mean, I ate whatever crawled across my plate and it was just terrible. I can share with you many stories. But I can tell you this and bear witness that God will change your taste buds. And what you used to love, you'll end up not loving. And what you used to hate, you'll end up loving. Are you with me? He will do it. And I bear witness. I didn't think you can live off fruits and vegetables and anyway, but you can and actually be healthy. Okay, 
Um, let's take a look. We're going to leave you number eight. <clears throat> what mammals does God permit humans to eat? Now, so here the manufacturer said that uh, fruits, nuts, grains, and then veggies, that's what you need to be putting into your human machinery. But as you know, that after the Noatic flood, um, what happened to vegetation on planet Earth? It was completely wiped out. And not only that, but, you know, the soil was also depleted. But anyway, and so, um, so God, in an effort to keep Noah and his family alive, had to make some adjustments for their sake. And so he said, look, there are some animals you can eat. But he made speci uh, specifications as to what those animals would be. In Leviticus 11, it says, among the beasts, whatever what? Divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and what? Chewing the cud that you may eat. And so God put animals into two categories, clean and unclean. And he talked about the ones being clean as having divided hooves and chewing the cud. And so here you have a cloven foot of the cow. And you can see the cow there chewing the grass. And the cow has various stomachs. I, I think it's four. Isn't it four stomachs he has? What is it? It is four. And so he just moves, so he gets maximum nutrients out of the, uh, the grass that he's eating. Um, what other animals have cloven hooves and chew the cud? Goats. Sheep. Deer. I guess elk when you're... <laughs> moose. I've seen a couple of those since we've been here. Um, there are a number of, of animals that do do that. However, um, uh, there are... Oh, before I go any further. So these are the animals that God said was okay. And isn't, are, are we glad that God just makes things really simple for us? So just look at his foot and see what he does with what he eats. And that's how you know. But there's another thing that uh, we need to be aware of. Open your Bibles and let's take a look to Leviticus chapter 7. By the way, while you're turning there, um, everything we're studying here was accessible to the, the nation of Israel. But uh, historically and archaeologically, we find that Israel didn't let go of, of flesh foods and, and, and went back to vegetarian style, like the manufacturer said. And they continued with flesh foods. And that's why, over the centuries, diseases began to manifest themselves uh, in the tribes. And, uh, and by the way, the animals today are far more diseased than, uh, than they were back then far more diseased, and uh, they're pumped full of steroids and, all kind, and antibiotics to try to keep them alive and fatten them up, but that's all passed on to the consumer. Are you with me? Very, very important. Leviticus 7, and let's take a look at verse 23. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, you shall not eat any fat of oxen or sheep or goats. So God, God says, if you're going to eat um, these animals, I don't want you eating the fat. Uh, the fat stores impurities. Were you aware of that? You know, I, I know people that used to be on uh, uh, heroin and they were overweight when they were on various types of drugs. Then they got off the drugs and, uh, and, then, they, and then, you know, they decided to get, get, get fit and get into exercise. Have it, has anybody ever heard of this happening? And as they began to lose weight, they started getting high again because all that stuff was stored in the fat. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, a few of you. This is a very serious matter. So God knew this and he informed Israel, do not eat the fat. What else did he say? Uh, let's take a look at verse 26 of the same chapter. And it says, moreover, you shall not eat any what? Blood in any of your dwellings, whether bird or beast. And I can show you more text for the sake of time. I'm just going to show you those two. So the Lord is saying, look, if you're going to eat the meat, eat only clean meat and make sure the blood is drained out of it and you don't eat the fat. Are you with me? That's when God says it's okay if, you're going to ha if you have to eat meat. That's when he says it's okay. That makes sense? Very, very important to be aware of that. 
um, I want to show you there, there is confusion in the, in, the, in the world today and in the Christian world today. You will often hear people say, yeah, well, after the cross, that changed, and now we can eat whatever we want. And then what's cited is the book of Acts. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to go, I really would love to take you through this whole, book, this whole ch- uh, chapter, but we just don't have time. But Acts chapter 10. A little background to our story. Um, there is in, uh, in Judea uh, a, a Gentile. He is a centurion. And, uh, and this man uh, is assigned to uh, Judea, and he bumps into the Jewish faith and begins paying attention. This man evidently was spiritual and was very sincere, and he finds in the Jewish faith, uh, uh, in, the, in the Jewish God, a, a superiority to anything he had ever worshipped and known. And he comes to accept the God of heaven. And uh, anyway, he's praying to God one day, and the Lord instructs him to send for a man named Peter who lives in Joppa who has a special message for him. What God was doing was connecting this Gentile to his church is what was happening. And uh, so anyway, he sends off a delegation to go find Peter in Joppa. And of course, they were Gentiles. Meanwhile, Peter is in Joppa, and he's upstairs uh, on the rooftop uh, of, a, of a friend, a tanner, waiting for lunch to be prepared. And then something happens. Let's pick up in verse 9. The next day, as they went on their way, the delegation journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetops to pray, about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, so he went into a vision, and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice said to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, "Uh, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleaned, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision... Okay, let me pause right there. Let's pause at 15, or 16. So it happened three times. So people will stop right there, and they'll say, See, we could go outside and eat an alligator sandwich. We can eat a pork chop. We can eat a camel. It's okay. Uh, But, you know, we got to do what Paul Harvey often counseled us to do. We need the rest of the story. So let's see if this was really about food. Let's see if, if Peter actually goes out and eats a pork chop or an alligator sandwich. Let's take a look at 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, stop right there. Did Peter get from this vision that now it was okay to eat whatever crawled across his plate? Now, he's thinking, you know, I know what God did not mean, but I really don't know what he meant with that. So he's confused. He uh, he is perplexed. Behold, so now while he's going through this complexity, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Now let me pause here. These men are Gentiles. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me share that yet. 18. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore. Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So (laughs) while Peter's up, the Holy Spirit says to them, Hey, look, there are three Gentiles down there. And whatever they ask of you, don't question, just go with them. Why? Because Peter had been brought up to believe that only Jews were saved. They were clean, and the rest of the world was unclean. All Gentiles were unclean. So Jews didn't hang out with Gentiles. They certainly wouldn't eat with Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, chill out. Just do what I tell you to. Go with them. So let's continue. Uh, What verse did I leave you at? Okay, so we're in 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am him who you seek. 
for what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, this is kind of funny. Peter did not go by himself. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he wanted witnesses. And if you continue on, we're not going to read the whole story, you'll find the role the witnesses play. But let's continue. 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was eating, excuse me, was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know, this is Peter talking, how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Was it about diet or about people? And if you continue on, that, is just, that, that uh, fact is only uh, deepen. And so what happens to Peter in this story is he comes to the realization that the gospel is for the entire world. It's for everyone. And Peter then becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Exactly. Okay, let's, tell you, let's continue on our journey here. Number nine. What types of fish and seafood are clean? Leviticus 11.9. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever Whatever in the water has what? Fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. And so the Lord made this simple for us. He says, look, if it's got scales and it's got fins, it's okay. Now, by the way, let me pause right here. Please be advised that our waters in our planet are very polluted. Please know that. And you don't know where that fish has been. And there's pollutants dumped in on all kinds of Radioactive activity or uh, radioactive material has been dumped in. Just be advised. But if you have to do it, fish and scales is the uh, criteria. And so God rules out things like clams and crabs and lobsters and octopus and sharks uh, and whales and frogs and walruses. Don't want to eat those. Uh, dolphins or penguins, or they don't have fins and scales. It's amazing what people will eat. But they don't have fish. God has designed these creatures to have a specific role. Many of these creatures are scavengers, and they eat things from off the bottom. And, um, you know, for example, let's just say the, the, a clam. People eat clams. How many of you have ever had a fish tank? Okay. How many of you ever cleaned your fish tank? And how many of you replaced the filter in your fish tank? How many of you, when you replaced that filter, were tempted to just go, look, with that filter? Did the thought ever cross your mind to do that? But that's actually what the clam is. God placed them there in the ocean to be a filter. You don't want to eat a filter. Uh, but this was the specifications that the Lord gave to us to keep us healthy. Take a look at question number 10. Which birds are unclean? Leviticus 11, 15, and 16. Every raven after its what? Kind. The ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind. Uh, these animals are unclean. These are birds of prey. Now, if you look at uh, birds like quails and chicken and turkeys, they are foragers. Is that right? Uh, but the others are not like that. It, it is not, it's not going to be good to be consuming of these creatures. But the foragers are, 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 have been approved. Number 11. Are the laws about clean and unclean animals part of the Mosaic ceremony which ended at the cross? Genesis 7, 1 and 2 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark. You sh uh, come into the ark. You shall take with you seven each of every, what kind of animal? Clean animal, male and his female, and two each of animals that are what? Unclean male and his female. So very interesting, even before the sanctuary was inaugurated, even before there was a Jew or a Hebrew, 
the concept of clean and unclean was already known. It was already known. The distinction was there. It is not unique to the tabernacle. It's really interesting, by the way, if you look at the Levitical system, you find three sets of laws. One is ceremonial, the other is civil, and the last is health. In the, the ceremonial laws are no longer in effect because it all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on a cross, remember what happened to the curtain in the temple? It was rent in half. Josephus tells us that the, the, the Passover lamb that day ran away and that signified that the sanctuary service on earth came to an end. Okay, remember we studied about this. Now it's time to be looking at the sanctuary in heaven that's been inaugurated and Christ is officiating there. But, um, but the ceremonial laws came to an end at that moment. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Now the civil laws. The civil laws... Um, who was the king of Israel? It was God. God was the king. Uh, Israel was a theocracy. Does that make sense? It was a theocracy. When did the theocracy come to an end? Does anyone remember? At the trial of Christ, Pilate asked the nation, the leaders, a question. Do you want me to crucify your king? And they responded by saying, we have no king but Caesar. They had divorced themselves from the theocracy. And then shortly after, I heard somebody say uh, that the temple destroyed in AD 70. That was the result of the separation that took place. So what am I getting at here? Those, those laws are not in effect, but the health laws are still in effect. Uh, they still are. If you, if, for example, quarantine, where do you think the idea of quarantine came from? That's scriptural. By the way, you quarantine sick people, not well people. That's the, that's the directive, the model given to us by a very wise God. You know, I do need to share with you this, this story. When uh, we were living in Tennessee, I was listening to Family Life Today radio, and they were interviewing a physician who was telling his testimony about how um, he was serving the Lord and came down with a very aggressive form of diabetes, and he knew he had a short time to live. And he fell on his face before God in his living room and said, Lord, you know I'm your servant. I'm here to serve you. Why did you allow this to come to me? And he had his Bible, and he wanted to hear from God, and he opened his Bible to this text. Over your Bibles to Exodus 15. Exodus 15. And, uh, and I'm going to read verse 26. He said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And so he looked at this and he was really perplexed because it's so answered, uh, it so spoke to what he was experiencing. So he started doing research into uh, archaeological discoveries of the Egyptians and what kind of diseases they had. And they had heart disease and uh, they had uh, uh, diabetes and all the diseases that we have today. And so what, he, what it led him to do was go back to the Genesis diet. He went back to the manufacturer, changed his diet and reversed his diabetes. Very, very important, my friends. <clears throat> Number 12. Does God say that eating unclean food is a serious offense? Isaiah 66, 15 and 17. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots, like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves, how? Eating swine's flesh, or eating what kind of flesh? Swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together. And so when we make the choice to go against what the manufacturer, what the Lord has given to us, we cloud our minds and we limit our ability to understand him and also to obey him. Does this make sense? This is huge what we're studying. If you study Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these guys stood tall on the plain of Dura in chapter 3 because they stood tall in chapter 1 at the table. Does this make sense? So important. In fact, the Bible says they were 10 times wiser than anybody else 
in the kingdom. 13. How can I make diet and health changes that will please the Lord? Ezekiel 11, 18 through 20 says, and they will take away all its, what? Detestable things. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and they, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my judgments and what? Do them. God will bless our efforts. But I want to share something with you. This is a process. You know, when it comes to things like alcohol, drugs, caffeine, that's not a process. That's get, get off that ASAP. Are you with me? But when it comes to, let's say, in my case, I shared with you, I didn't eat anything that didn't have a face. I didn't like fruit. I didn't like veggies. It was a process. I didn't even know how to eat if you didn't have meat in there. And Sola and I went to a cooking school, and we were newly married and uh, there in Wilmington, North Carolina, and they taught us how to eat vegetarian food. I didn't think that could be palatable. I didn't even think that could be enjoyable. It, it's delicious when it's cooked right. I mean... You can make meat bad, too, for that matter. But, um, but anyway, uh, it is a process, so please take time. I made a mistake. I got rid of meat all right away, and I didn't know what to replace it with, so I went to the store and started buying cheese balls. <laughs> I wish I was exaggerating. I don't know how many of those things I put down. Probably would have been better off with the meat than the cheese balls. But uh, my point is process and uh, look for... Uh, uh, there's great books out there and, off, and, and many times Seventh-day Adventist churches offer a cooking school. Okay, let's take a look at, uh, now we're transitioning here. We're going from now food to whatever you do. Again, looking to honor God in all things. Number 14, what does the Bible say about our behavior? James 4, 4, whatever, what, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself a what? an enemy of God. Please understand this, friends. There are only two principles in operation in the universe. Only two. One is based on love and the other on selfishness. That's all there is. And the world is an example, is, is uh, the ideology of the world is, sef- is selfishness. It's all about me. Number one. But the kingdom of God is not like that. It's love. And uh, so... Um, we can tell which side of the, of the battle we're on by the principle we're living by. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is what? Unclean, and I will receive you. In other words, God wants us. I mean, people that are preparing for the coming of Christ need to be living differently than those who are not preparing for Christ's coming. Isn't that true? I remember doing a wedding with a fellow who, um, he, in fact, neither of them were Christians. And one was a family member, and I decided to do the, uh, the wedding as an opportunity to witness to them. And of course, neither of them being Christians um, made them equally yoked, so I can do the wedding. Anyway, so, <clears throat> but I sought an opportunity to witness to him, and he, he did not want me to witness to him. He knew where I was going, and he kind of shut me down. But at the very end of the wedding, as I was heading, and, and he saw the way I was living my life, um, and the Sabbath was coming, and I said to him, look, uh, I need... Uh, Go ahead and take me back home. I need to spend some time with the Lord. And anyway, there was a lot of opportunities to witness. At the very end, as he took me to the airport, uh, he looked at me and he said to me, you know, my brother is a pastor, and he told me the denomination. He says he drinks, he smokes and curses, and then tells me I need Jesus. And I tell him, you're no different than me. I don't need anything that you have. And then he looked at me and he says, but you're different. You try to live by what that book says. A person who is waiting for the coming of Christ ought to be living differently than those who aren't waiting. Does that make sense? And our lives will be a testimony to others. Um, 1 John 2.15, if anyone does what? Loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, living off a wrong principle, selfishness. Romans 12.2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may what? Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, and that happens as we study the Bible. And what do we do when we study the Bible? 15, what should a Christian choose to think about? Uh, Philippians 4.8, we find what I refer to as the brain filter. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are what? True. Whatsoever things are what? Noble. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are Lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything 
praiseworthy, meditate on those things. My friends, that knocks out Hollywood. Completely. That knocks out just, just about everything on television. It knocks out a ton of videos, games, internet sites, and reading material. We need to guard the avenues of the soul. Why? Because the Bible tells us that by beholding, you become changed. If you look at the high priest, on his crown, it said, holiness to the Lord. Not on his shoulder, not on his knee, not on his elbow, on the frontal lobe. It was a reminder to Israel and to the people today, the people of God today, that our thoughts need to be pure. So, um, it was Solomon who said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What we meditate on, we become like. We need to be guarding our minds. So that's, uh, let's continue. Psalms 101, verse 3. I will set what? Nothing wicked before my eyes. So <clears throat> we need to realize that God views, um, oh, I can spend so much time here. God views murder, rape, child molestation, you name it, as an abomination. Hollywood presents it to you as entertainment. Jesus would never watch it. Neither must we, because by beholding that, we become changed. The reality is we're programming ourselves to be saved or lost by what we're feeding our brain. We make that choice. We have to make good choices. Um, oh, I can, you know, I'll pause and say this. Do you realize that our minds, our subconscious mind, does not tell the difference between reality and fantasy? So whatever you watch, your brain actually records it as an actual event. And so what happens many times in a very difficult or stressful situation, you react. Your body goes through the, the files in the brain and starts pulling out information that's relevant to your current uh, crisis to act. And you hear about people snapping and taking other people's lives. They were watching. I, 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 how many times do we hear about these shootings and whatnot in schools? And what do they always draw it back to? What they were watching and reading. We got to start making connections here and make better choices. Number 16. What type of music will a true Christian enjoy? Psalms 40, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. What? Praise to our God. A Christian will be listening to spiritual music that will be lifting his thoughts, his hearts, and mind unto the Lord. First Samuel 16, 23. And so it was. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it in his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would what? Depart from him. What this is telling us is that music is actually a weapon. Godly music will drive away Satan and his angels, but guess what worldly music will do? It'll draw them in. Buyer beware. Music, in the, in, 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 if you want to learn more about music, I really challenge you uh, to listen. There's a presentation by a man named Frank Garlock. You can find it on the internet. You can order the CD. Um, and it's entitled Pop Goes the Music. And he really expresses, he, he really shares biblical principles of, of music. Uh, and it, that's what it finally helped me to get it. I'm not musically inclined, so I had to watch it several times to finally get it. But, um, but it makes a lot of sense, I mean, tremendous sense. It was made back in the 90s, so people are dressed a little different, music a little different, but the principles are all the same. Very, very important. Pop Goes the Music. Number 17. It's dancing, good recreation for a Christian. Titus 2.12, teaching us that, what? Denying ungodliness or worldly lust, we should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And uh, typically where, music, where dancing is taking place, the music is the wrong principles. There's typically smoking or there's typically uh, a drinking and, uh, and it's typically uh, sexually driven. Are you with me? So, no, that is not something, uh, you know, the, if you have difficulty knowing whether you should be doing it or not, just ask the question, would Jesus do this with me? And if the answer is no, we have our answer. Number 18, does the Bible discourage the wearing of jewelry and showy clothing? Uh, this is a sensitive topic in, in most cultures and ours. 
Uh, let's see what the Bible says. First Timothy 2.9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in how? Modest apparel. Let me stop right there. This is a word that's really disappearing in our culture. Uh, people don't even know what that means anymore. But it's just, you're just covering the, the, the private parts so they're not attempting or alluring to a member of the opposite sex. Does that make sense? That's, that's just modesty. And, and, if, and if a lady wants to know if something's modest or not, the easiest thing to do is just ask a guy. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a, it's a good start. Y'all got quiet on me. Anyway, all right. Let me start over. First Timothy 2.9. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly clothing. It's not the showy, flashy. By the way, when I said guy, ask a godly guy. <laughs> Maybe I should have clarified that. <laughs> ask a godly guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but anyway, it's not the showy, uh, external, artificial stuff that the Bible's advocating, and then Peter fleshes it out a little more. In 1 Peter 3, um, uh, verse 3 and 4, while adorning, let it not be of that outward adorning. What kind of adorning? Outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the what? The hidden man of the heart in in which there is not uh, corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, what? Great price. So God is saying, you know, let, don't let what's beautiful about you be on the outside, but let it be on the inside. Now, I'm not saying that God's not interested in us being clean and neat, but not flashy. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter uh, 53. And you, you remember this chapter. This is the chapter about our Lord and Savior. It's a messianic prophecy of the suffering servant. Uh, gives incredible detail to the ministry of Christ. But what really struck me was the first two chapters of Isaiah 53. If you're there, say amen. I hear pages turning. That's a delightful sound. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, referring to Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus did not come to planet Earth to flash and dazzle. Now, as the Almighty, could he have done that? He could have done that, but he didn't do that. Jesus was plain. He was just looked like anyone and everyone else. And yet people were drawn to him. People flocked to him. Why? Because of his character. He had the inner beauty of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that's what we're to be like. That people be drawn to us when they see Jesus in us. Does that make sense? Very, very important if we want to represent him. Let's take a look at the note right below 18. Modesty is the pattern for Christians to follow. The popular sexually suggestive fads and fashions of today encourage a great deal of temptation and debt. God wishes for us to dress modestly and tastefully. However, the use of jewelry and expensive clothing should not be part of a Christian's wardrobe. Drawing attention to self does not put to death the old man of sin, but rather encourages and strengthens him. Jesus calls us to lay those things aside uh, um, that draw attention to self and seek for those things, the inward adorning that will draw the attention of others to Jesus and only then can we make his true, can we become his true ambassadors and be a light to the world. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. All right. Number 19. Well, oh, this is a nice picture. I like her shirt too. God blesses, doesn't he? 19. Will a Christian play the lottery or gamble? 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a what? Root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Proverbs 28.20 says, He who what? Hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You know, I remember when we were living in the state of North Carolina, they were bringing gambling. I did all kinds of research to what happened to states that brought gambling into their state. 
crime rate will shot up. And the, where the money was supposed to go for the poor people, they were the ones that were putting money into the gambling. And so it was fleecing them. And the only people that really did really well were the guys who brought the gambling. The reality is, how much of what I own belongs to God? All of it. We are stewards of His stuff. We're not to play games with God's money. Isn't that true? God gives us money to meet our needs, to help others, and to further the cause of God. That's why He gives us. We're not to play with God's money. Um, enough there, I guess. Uh, let's take a look at number 20. What should be the aim of God's people today? 1 John 3.22, we keep His commandments and do those things that are what? Pleasing in His sight. Ecclesiastes 12.13, fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the what? Whole duty of man, pleasing Him. 21, what makes it, uh, what makes it easy to obey God in the matters of lifestyle discussed in this lesson? John 14, 15, if, and that, that one little word is massive. If, it's conditional. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. And 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not, burn, are not what? Burdensome. And Psalms 40, verse 8 says, I to do thy will, O my God. That's right, and, and, that is the resu- and the result of that will be peace and joy. 22, why is the Christian life such a high calling? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, but you are a chosen generation, a what? Royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. My friends, you and I know a lot of people whose shadow will never cross the threshold of a church. You and I know a lot of people who will never crack a Bible, and the only Bible they will ever read is your life. And it will be awful in the judgment if somebody were to say to us, wait a second, you knew all this? You didn't tell me. I I didn't see it in your life. No, friends. People need to see Jesus in you and me. They need to. And so God specifies and shows us what those things are. And so here is the appeal for us tonight. Are you willing to be part of God's chosen generation, to walk in the footsteps of our loving Savior and witness through a godly lifestyle to prepare others for Jesus' second coming? What do you say? If that's your desire, raise your hand. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you saw our hands raised and you know that, our, that we need your help to keep our promises. And Father, uh, there's some things that need to be changed. Even in our presentation here, you were impressing our hearts with some changes that we need to be making. And so Lord, I pray, help us to just triage and just come to you and say, okay, Lord, where do you want me to begin? And then just begin that process because that's how I did it with you and that's how you did it with me. It was too overwhelming. There were so many things in my life that were so messed up. And uh, so you just help me step by step. And I am so thankful that you're such a kind shepherd in the manner in which you lead us. And you never lead us to do anything that you're not ready to give us the power to do. Because certainly the power isn't within ourselves. We love you. We thank you. Bless all here tonight. Grant them all traveling mercies now. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.